Hey, y'all, I want you to check out Brooklyn Games. Go to patreon.com backslash Brooklyn Games. It's like a monthly zine subscription. Each issue is chock full of imaginative, useful information you will use at your table. Go to patreon.com backslash Brooklyn Games for a new issue in your mailbox or inbox every month. Welcome to Wobblies and Wizards. I'm your host, Logar the Barbarian, and I'm joined today by guest fed. They are the author of Nibiru and Zephyr. Welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. No doubt, no doubt. I now I have I picked up Nibiru. Now Zephyr, is that out in print yet, or are we still waiting on that one? And we're still waiting on that. <laughs> okay, so we're gonna. I'd like to hear a bit about both games, perhaps during this. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know if one of the two you'd rather start talking about, it, but uh... yeah, Nibiru is fine since it's the one that's out. Yeah, let's let's hear a bit about Nibiru. Nibiru, it's it's an interesting game. I've uh, I've got I've got a copy of it right here. I picked up well mm -hmm. a couple of years ago, and it's it's based around memories. Yes. Could you explain Indeed. some of that to the to the listeners? What can they expect there? Uh, well, it's pretty simple. Like if if you know like the classical uh, sort of thing where like you're at a game and you have a player that or or many players maybe that just love to like write a background for their character and they write pages and pages about <laughs> like their background and stuff and they want to like implement it in the game and stuff but it's really hard you know because you as the dm you have to sort of like mind that and be like oh how can i get this in how can i you know flesh this out even during during play and stuff and nibiru although it wasn't like specifically created from the beginning to do that it pretty much does that by design, because basically what you have is characters that start as a blank uh, sheet, essentially. No ability scores whatsoever or anything. Like, people that are basically amnesiacs, lost in this massive space station called Nibiru, uh, or the Skyless World. Uh, you can do that too. And basically, the all of the campaigns, all of the games that you're going to play at Nibiru are going to start the moment they start remembering their past. And so the way to remember the past is basically you have a set of uh, memory points that represent the potential to remember. And whenever you have a role or you're going to basically like do an action that's, that's particularly significant, you can roll, of course, but you can also spend those memory points and trigger a flashback that is pretty much tied thematically to whatever it is that you're trying to do. For example, if you're escaping from like a group of like evildoers or something and you yeah. jump onto like a platform, you might roll for that to see if you uh, get there or you might, you know, spend memory points and you get to ride a memory that is likely going to be related to it. Like, for example, you remember that you used to do parkour back in your hometown. And what's interesting is that when you do that, you not only succeed at the action, you write that bit of like background and you get a permanent bonus to that sort of action. So for example, to doing parkour or doing athletics and stuff like that. So the process of playing Nibiru uh, has you write all of these snippets of background in this journal sheet that you have, which basically develop your character both narratively and mechanically as you go. 
by using these memory points and, and triggering flashbacks. So it pretty much solidifies that idea of like, so like, you know, drip feeding uh, the background that people have in their heads. And it's, it's also more elaborated because to earn those memory points, there's different ways, but the most prominent one is you get to, for example, instead of uh, succeeding at the role, you can choose to fail a role, you get a permanent penalty, and you explain through background why is it that you're not good at, for example, doing parkour or jumping and such. So uh, it's, it's really just molding this blank slate into shape through little background snippets uh, that you do in the game. That's pretty cool. What I see... I've come to a point where a lot of times when I run a game, I tell people not to worry so much about a background unless it's like one sentence or two, because it can get to be a lot to deal with. But a lot of folks I've played with do like to create that background and being that part of the game, bringing it into the game and being into the play. I can definitely see where a lot of people would, would get into that. I, mm -hmm. I'd like to talk for a minute about the art in this book because it is magnificent. <laughs> <laughs> what can you what yep. can you tell me about some of the art here because it is it, it, it's got beautiful beautiful art it's it's got a foreboding look kind of gives you the idea that there's something dark about the game mm -hmm. yeah totally uh the art for Nibiru was pretty laborious uh there's a lot of artists involved but even if we have like many different styles in the book they all sort of come together because of the fact that I chose a very limited color palette. Yes. The art in Nibiru is generally overwhelmingly blue or overwhelmingly orange. Those two are complementary colors, of course, but because a lot of the, the art pieces are mostly done in those colors, even if you have uh, very different styles, they all sort of like mesh pretty well, uh, I think. And that's kind of like the, the idea behind the art direction of the book. Yeah, there is definitely a good consistency with the art, but art and it gives a certain a mood or a tone there. Mm -hmm. And and I appreciate that. It and it, it is a nice in the print itself, the book is really nice. It's got one of those nice uh, ribbon bookmarks that I always love <laughs> to find in a book. Yeah. <laughs> Get excited about mm -hmm. that. <laughs> so it, it is beautiful. Now let's talk could you tell a bit about the setting cuz there's a spaceship and then there mm -hmm. was another, another, could you tell a little bit about that? Yeah, totally. Uh, so the setting is basically this like huge space station, mm -hmm. which is home to millions of people. And uh, it's pretty detailed in the fact that like, you know, the functioning of the, of, of the station, like it generates gravity through like centrifugal force. And it has this really weird thing, which is like the people that live inside this massive space station that's like thousands of kilometers uh, wide, they don't really know what's outside of the space station uh, because of the fact that uh, given that it has centrifugal force, the closer you go to the edge of the space station, the stronger the pressure gets. So essentially, if you try to reach the edge of the space station, you would basically be under the pressure that you could experience like in the deepest oceans of the earth. It's, it's pretty much impossible to like walk through there or, or, or yeah. venture into that place. So it's, very interesting from a philosophical point of view because you have this sort of like Plato's cave at a massive historical scale kind of thing where people have developed civilization without uh, ideas tied to the sun, the stars, the ocean. Like the, the very simple fact that there's, there's never been like a place that they can't reach just by walking uh, generally because like, you know, everything is like hallways and, and stuff that's, that's reachable. Yes. 
it's it really conditions the way they see nature and artificiality. So a big part of of the point of the text in the book and and of the point of like the, the imaginative projection of the book is to sort of like think about that. How would people develop ideas of nature and of what's artificial in a world like this? There is this really interesting thing, which is everything is made of metal and everything works through electricity. And even the life forms that they like people cohabit with, uh, they are bioelectrical. So they... Uh, they're organic, but they work sort of like capacitors and, and batteries. They consume electricity. So there's a whole like interesting aspect that's religious of like why if all of these life forms can feed off of electricity, humanity can't. So you have like sort of like fall from grace mythology of like why humans are shunned by the electricity and how they're hurt instead of like Fed being able to it. nurture uh, by it. So it it's a very it was a very very fun creative exercise in world building. That's probably a part of what I enjoy the most. Mm-hmm. That's pretty. That's pretty neat. Now you do have a new game that's going to be coming up, and and the, I've seen some of the spreads that you sent me. They look really like the art is just about as solid as what I've seen in in Nibiru as well. Uh, oh, thanks. What is, <laughs> what is it you can? Uh, what is it you can tell us about this game? Is Zephyr? Yeah, Zephyr. I think Zephyr is in the same way as Nibiru, like uh, sort of like tackles identity through memories. Mm-hmm. Zephyr tie, uh, ties identity through feelings. Oh. Basically, the idea is that uh, you're going to build your characters through establishing the things, the people, the places that your characters feel strongly about. And the interesting thing also about Zephyr is that it doesn't use dice. It uses tokens of four colors, cyan, black, yellow, and magenta. Oh, CMYK. <laughs> yeah, exactly. CMYK. And it basically has you combine those tokens in different ways to create common feelings, like Fear is a certain combination, rage is a certain combination, longing, guilt, they're all different color combinations. And so as you spend them, you get to forge those bonds to the world, people, etc. It's particularly relevant, like doing the, the CMYK thing, because the feelings in the world of uh, Zephyr are actual, like they have physical shape. Like they have physical form. Uh, they exist in solid and liquid and gas state. And they essentially form everything that is. So there's like a, a cool metaphysical bit there, meaning that the world that you inhabit is made of feelings and the characters that you create are made of feelings. So they have a constitution, which you'd probably see as health in, a, in other games. But in this game, they're basically just a pool of tokens of all these different colors. And there's a very sort of like strong link between this idea of like spending tokens and gaining tokens and expressing yourself and and finding the feelings that you have for one or two things or whatever and survival because feelings are also your constitution you have to basically hunt and gather and stuff to imbibe those feelings and then to be able to express yourself as you uh, spend them that's kind of abstract but like more (laughs) more to the point the setting in Zephyr is sort of like a living landmass, like a living continent that, that breathes, etc., and walks. Yes. And uh, the characters that you uh, inhabit, they're not human, creatures called the Windfolk, which are made of feelings, and they inhabit this living landmass and they go around, etc. So, And they're, they're basically constructs. They're sort of like sentimental constructs. They're 
pieces of wood and and ash and etc just held together by the power of uh, feelings in this world there seems to be some sort of i'm gonna go on a limb that perhaps you got an interest in philosophy or something along those lines that seems to influence these games is that inaccurate to say or no that's it's not inaccurate i mean uh zephyr is very overtly anarchist like it, it the, the tagline of the game is an anarchist game of fleeing mm-hmm. identities um and one of the main sort of like thematic axes of, of zephyr is uh debt and obligation basically the idea is that the the creatures that you that you play as the wind folk generally basically come from sort of like sparse communities existing outside of sort of like in the periphery of uh, a central state or a group of states called the salt states mm-hmm. um, and the idea is that they sort of have developed a host of social institutions uh, not only to keep their communities together democratically and like in autonomy and generally trying to like refrain from violent exertion and stuff like that, <laughs> but also to oppose the influence of the salt states, the salt states that exist in the sort of like geographical center of the, of the living landmass. And a lot of these uh, social institutions are represented through mechanics. Uh, for example, the fact that the, like all games of, of Zephyr start when you and your friends basically take in obligations from their community. It's kind of like a rite of passage into adulthood in which to become like a full member of the community, you establish obligations with, for example, this old guy that, you know, you always like chilled at their house or whatever, or this like super legendary hunter or something like that. You take in obligations and you go out in the world to fulfill them. These are sort of like extraordinary things that the community normally doesn't need, but Mm -hmm when it comes time to celebrate this passage into adulthood, like this group of like young wind folks go out and, and fulfill. And it's pretty interesting because what you have is basically a sort of point system where the players build their adventure. Like they get to establish what are the stakes, how far they're going to travel, how dangerous uh, is, is, is it going to be? Is it, are there chances to running into the salt states, for example, or running into like super terrifying creatures that might lurk at the particular place that they're going? For example, is this something that's going to benefit just one person or the entire community or the mm-hmm. entire region, maybe? And so with this system in which they create the, the, the campaigns or like the objectives of the campaign, they in exchange receive technologies from the community. So this is traditions. This is oral history this is sort of like uh, a huge array of tools that they're going to use to succeed at their adventure so that the more dangerous the adventure that the players craft the more they're going to start with uh in regards to that and it has to do with skills to hunt skills to gather to uh heal to do a whole uh amount of stuff it's interesting i'm curious when it comes to like like a lot of times role-playing games fall on some kind of spectrum of of common genres like fantasy science fiction how would you place zephyr in that spectrum of things that we normally talk about genre fiction and stuff like that 
Oh, it's definitely fantasy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it it's just very different from like I guess Tolkien? European Tolkienist <laughs> fantasy. Like that, there's no elves or anything whatsoever. We're talking all about like these sentimental constructs, and we have the the whole metaphysics of feeling happening and stuff like that. It's it's pretty different. Uh, so yeah, that's that's kind of the the deal with it. That's 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 pretty cool. Now, is there any sort of uh, like like before, there was a kind of a, a unifying color palette in the aesthetic of Nibiru. Mm-hmm. Is there something like that going on with Zephyr as well that you've leaned into aesthetically? Yeah, the thing with Zephyr is I am doing all of the illustrations. Mm-hmm. So oh, because wow, they all art. have. Yeah, that's really good. Uh, I, I appreciate it. Very good art. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Uh, so because of that, uh, since it's all sort of like falling within my style, I get to be way more sort of like playful in, with like the color palette of stuff like that. Um, uh, but to me, it's also interesting because it's not just that. It's the fact that I've been drawing for Zephyr for about three years now. And it's oh, been wow. like a process of drawing almost every day during the last three years for about three to four hours per day like this is my day job after all (laughs) (laughs) and uh, it's really cool because like i didn't really draw much before that so within the pages of the game i'm going to basically tag like the the date in which a certain piece was finished and there's like a like a visible progression of what it was when i started drawing and i started drawing with zephyr and what it is now that the the book is sort of like coming to there together, so it's it's a bit of a of an experience in, in terms of like the art, and it's quite personal, I guess. <laughs> so, what sort of is this digital medium that you're using, or how are we? How are you? What, what yeah. are we looking at? Okay, interesting. Yeah, it's digital. Mm-hmm. Well, I and I I'm I'm just want to know: Are you what what software? For my personal information, I'm curious what software you're using. Are you? mostly going raster like with something like photoshop or did you uh it's all clip studio paint basically. okay all mm-hmm. right interesting so one thing i like to ask folks about on here as they come on that are putting games out is what is their gaming history like where did they get mm-hmm. started and how did that lead them to putting out games like like what was that journey like for you Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm from Argentina. Uh, so I started when I was 15. I remember getting together with a friend and we had like a pirated copy of Warhammer Fantasy First Edition, the, the role playing oh, cool. game. Yeah. And we and we stumbled through it. We didn't really understood what was <laughs> happening, but I understand that. <laughs> yeah, but but we 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 played together and, and and it was like super fun. Eventually, I think that after that, I probably stopped role playing for a few years, and then went back through like a group of friends at work, and we played a lot of uh, well, Vampire the Requiem, uh, all of the sort of like New World of Darkness uh, yes. stuff. And also going back to uh, Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, I played first edition, we played third edition, which I really like. And eventually I moved to London uh, when I was 22. And in London, basically, as soon as I landed, I started going to clubs and working on Nibiru. And uh, I worked on Nibiru, well, for many years during that time. I got very involved in the scene there and I got like a job at Modifius, the uh, UK publisher. Mm-hmm. Um, and I worked there for about two to three years. 
Uh, and eventually I just left and went independent with my company, with Arcana Media, just through Nibiru. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've been independent ever since. <laughs> <laughs> so what was it that made you want to make Nibiru? What, what was the spark that said, oh, I want to make my own game? And how did, how did that start there? The spark was, uh, it, it's generally mechanics. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it generally starts with mechanics. I wanted to basically do a thing where uh, I could give sort of like a mechanical tie-in to writing so to sort of like creative writing yes Uh, so this idea of like little snippets that have like a mechanical advantage or disadvantage tied in main sort of like mechanical core like it it just came really fast like maybe like in a matter of like a couple of days but then most of the process the mechanics were uh, pretty simple for the game most of the process was world building and and just like working to pay for the art (laughs) (laughs) uh which like took like two years and a half or something oh wow wow so yeah. when, when you approach the world building i'm curious to know if you could give us some insight on on what you were doing there fleshing that out and, and, and writing that side of the game yeah uh well to me it's like the world building uh process is pretty much it's all theme driven mm-hmm. i basically have to nail down one or two themes that i want to convey and all of the world building has to be directed to that because like to me the main difference between like a fantasy world and like the real world is it 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 has nothing to do with you know how stuff looks and how stuff works in general it just has to do with the fact that the fantasy world is a vehicle to say something and in this case uh nibiru was a vehicle to talk about memory and identity and Mm -hmm. nature and artificiality so for example Whenever I wrote something about like a city or a group of people, I wanted to ask and sort of like interrogate that piece of lore or or background. What is this giving me regarding memory? Uh, What is this giving me regarding artificiality? For example, there's a huge city in the setting that's called Asher, which used to be like a sort of like sprawling empire that eventually fell fell down and in the present day in in which the the game happens there's like political divisions within that uh city state that essentially are about people who glorify the past and people to try to deal with like the violence of the past so that's a more so like collective memory theme going on of like how do we deal with you know traumatic events at like a societal uh level yes uh, and stuff like that so I think it's it's um, a huge part of it is, is just that, is sitting down, uh, just really nailing down what is it that you want to talk about, and then just building everything from the ground up with that in mind. Like, I want to talk about memory, like everything from the geography to, you know, the way people see religion and the way people think of technology and the way you know, uh, folk communicate and the way the, the clothes they wear, etc. You generally want to think about how stuff conveys uh, the, the themes that you have in mind. That's for me what it is. That that's fascinating to me. And I, and I say that because I'm a big fan of um, I'm not sure. I'm assuming you've read some 
uh, philosophies and things along those lines in your years, because you're definitely mm-hmm. hitting on some interesting things. I'm a big fan of George Herbert Mead. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the, with him or not. George Herbert Mead. He was sure. very social constructionist. He created the concept that people refer to as the looking glass self. Um, it dovetails nicely with some thinkers like like Gramsci, who talks about hegemony mm, yeah. and those those narratives within society that kind of drive society. And people like Herbert Marcuse, who who also take that very social constructionist view. Um, so that that I think in general, looking at the societal level memories and things like that, there's a lot that can be said there. I'm curious to know if there were any inspirations outside of gaming that like like philosophically, any writers or any thinkers that influenced you in that regard, maybe not even specifically to the game, but just in general. Yes, uh, 100 uh, percent. In fact, not so much for Nibiru, but for Seferin particularly, like a huge amount of the time that I've spent working on this game has been basically on a theory and specifically uh, reading a lot of anthropology and anthropology tied to uh, societies outside of uh, the orbit of states. Uh, So a lot of this ties into, well, first of all, David Graeber, uh, the works David Graeber. uh, I I really like David Graeber. (laughs) I really like David Graeber. (laughs) Yeah, so Dead, On Kings, the last book with uh, David Wengrow, which was uh, The Dawn of Everything. Uh, we have uh, James C. Scott uh, with Seeing Like a State and Against the Grain. Um, we got older um, people like, I don't know, Pierre Clastres and stuff like that. And in terms of like social con- constructivism, I think with regards to the mechanics, the idea that, for example, the windfolk are socially like conscious of the sort of person that they're creating through their institutions like very patent like for example there's there's a host of mechanics that tie into exactly the idea of like what kind of person we're cultivating through our institutions for example the fact that when you hunt someone hunt sorry someone not someone like when it hunts <laughs> an animal to survive of course the bows and the equipment that you use they generally are braided with sort of like thorns and brambles and stuff like that because there's an idea that there's something called a shedding which is you bleed uh, out a single token when you take a shot to signify that there's a communion through pain with the life that you're taking Mm-hmm. Or, for example, uh, the idea that violence in this game has two different sets of rules. Whenever violence basically happens to you through natural uh, means, you generally just lose tokens from your constitution. Simple as that. Mm-hmm. But when you suffer violence at the hands of the salt states, because we're talking about systemic, rationalized violence, instead of losing tokens... Uh, there's there's a rule in which, for example, if you get attacked by the sword of a salt state's hero, uh, you yes. drop two tokens, you draw a line, and you slice through your character sheet through oh. that line. <laughs> or you drop tokens if you're shot with like grape shot or something, and you puncture your character sheet and basically <laughs> deal with the consequences and try to rationalize what is that happens. But there's a there are plenty of mechanics in the game that come to shape the character through ideas and social institutions and stuff tied to tied to the worldview. So there's, I think, a, contra- 
uh, constructivist edge on that part, on the way that these institutions shape the character. And impact the individual character. That makes exactly. a lot of yeah, that makes mm-hmm. a lot of sense. <clears throat> so I, I think it's interesting. You're 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 physically interacting with and altering the character sheet in ways that I yeah. have not seen. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. N- Nibiru has that too. I really like that sort of thing uh, of like interacting with the elements outside. Yeah, that's uh, that that's that's uh, that's awesome. That's that that's a neat a neat approach, a different idea mm-hmm. there. It very much leans itself to physicality. Well, I got one more quick question because we're mm-hmm. going to be coming up on time here soon. When it, when it comes to uh, and I'll ask this of both games, what your thoughts are? A lot of times, games tend to some games I feel can work better for a one shot or a short campaign, and some games work better for long ongoing campaigns years on end where mm-hmm. do you think you would situate uh nibiru and and zephyr uh in that in that spectrum oh they're both better for longer campaigns uh it's that's just because of the fact that i i always tended to play games just long term and i really mm-hmm. like the experience of like you know having like long epic campaigns i just love that Yes, uh, so I tend to <laughs> I design it. for that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I understand completely. I'm a big fan of the long campaigns. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's good. Well, we're coming close on time. Could you tell the listeners where they can find you online, where they can pick up, well, Nibiru and where they might be able to pick up Zephyr here in the future when that comes out? Yeah, uh, they can basically uh, check out the website for Arakana. Uh, that's arakana.com. Uh, which is A-R-A-U-K-A-N-A dot com. Uh, Oracana one in Twitter. Uh, also, if you have a Twitter. Uh, and yeah, uh, there's like a newsletter there and, and the web store. So yeah, that's that's pretty much where it is. Excellent. I want to thank you for coming on. It's been great hearing from you. Yeah, no, same to you, Logan. <laughs> it's super fun. It's good. It definitely, I'd like to have you on the future when, when it's especially when, when this comes out. I, I I'd love mm-hmm. to talk to you more about it and see where it's at. Um, yeah, that'd be super cool. Yeah, I, I like mm-hmm. I like some of the stuff you got going on there a lot. I really appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for his face. No doubt, no doubt. Thank you for coming on. If you've enjoyed what you've heard here today, please give us a positive review wherever you're listening. You can find a, us on Facebook. Search Wobblies and Wizards. Wobbliesandwizards.com is our blog. I'm on Twitter at Logar Crom. We're on Patreon. And we could really use support to keep this going. Patreon.com backslash Wobblies and Wizards. And as always, keep those dice rolling. <laughs>